0: go back uh, to the book of genesis and begin to pick up on our series me and my dysfunctional family and i told you the definition of dysfunction is is not operating normally or properly we go to genesis 15 chapter and starting at verse number one not operating properly some other words for dysfunction is trouble have y'all ever been troubled trouble before some other words of distress have you ever been distressed before some other words are unsettled uh, upset distraught unbalanced unstable you have been unstable before come on some stuff can hit you upside the head that come into your life that make you unstable not really know which way to turn disordered maladjusted amen, uh, neurotic emotionally confused unhinged mixed up and messed up those are def- those are those are synonyms for the word dysfunction me and my dysfunctional family and as we said before because of the fallen world that we live in, Every family that's representing the earth realm has some level of dysfunctionality. Is that right? Every family has to deal with some stuff, some messed up stuff sometimes. And so as a born-again believer, as a child of God, let's learn how to navigate our dysfunctionality and get to the point to where we as born-again believers, amen, know how to handle life's situation. Can I get a witness? So we're going back and we're going to look at really the, I'm going to call it the family of faith, because every world, every major world religion, from uh, Christianity to Judaism uh, to uh, to Islam, trace their root back to Father Abraham. Every major religion in the world, uh, as it relates to Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, trace their roots back to. Abraham, Father Abraham. So let's take a look at this right quick and look at the family of faith that was birthed out of him. The text says sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. The text says this. Go on. But Abram replied, oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household will inherit all my wealth. The text says, you have given me no descendants of my own. So one of my servants will be my heir. So God said, the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir. For you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Verse five and six, it says what? Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. Verse number six says, and Abram did what? Believe the Lord. And what happened? And the Lord counted him as righteous because he was such a great person. Is that what it says? The Lord counted him as righteous because he came to church every Sunday. And didn't even. as a matter of fact, he came when they had Sunday night service. Never missed a Bible study. Is that why he was counted righteous? Absolutely not. Because our righteousness is like filthy rags before the presence of a holy God. The text says here, and the Lord... Counted him as righteous because of what his faith. Now let's flip over to the 16th chapter because now we begin and we're going to go back to t- chapter 12 also because I got to let you see the level of dysfunctionality in the family that God chose to bring the Savior into the earth realm, which lets me know that God uses imperfect people to get His will done. Can I get a witness? God uses. Some of us, all of us, at some point in time, had some, 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 some dysfunctionality, some messed up stuff going on in our life, and God still chose to use us. Look at Genesis 16, verses 1 and 2. Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. The text says in verse 2, so Sarah said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children, Go and sleep with my servant because perhaps I can have children through her. And look what the Bible says. And Abram agreed with Sarah's proposal. Now watch this. Listen, he agreed with Sarah's proposal. He chimed in with his wife's proposal. God had given them a promise and said you're going to be the father of many nations. But yet we see him... Right now, along with his wife, compromising, not believing what the Lord had promised him, not fully at a level of faith where they believe what the word of God said. Now, again, when I come to this passage of scripture right here, I would surmise that when you look at what's happening in this text, and I talked about this on last week, I would surmise that this is a time for some crucial conversation to take place, which all agree with me. This is a very good time for some crucial conversation to take place. Now, I I tell you, what are crucial conversations? They are interactions that happen to every last one of us. They are the day-to-day conversations that affect our lives. That's what crucial conversations are. Specifically, they are discussions between two or more people where we said, number one, the stakes are high. There's a lot on the line. Now, let me tell you something. If your wife came to you, and told you, now listen, baby, we ain't had no children, but I got my, my my servant girl here. You can go sleep with her. Do y'all think some stakes are high there? I don't know. I I, can, I I just can't imagine Sherry going to Kenny and saying, "Kenny," <laughs> Sherry said, "Nope, nope, nope, nope." But that that would the, the stakes are high there because listen, when when you when you uh, plant a seed and you reap an Ishmael, it ain't over with with the planting the seed because with Ishmael comes, some baggage. Can I get a witness up in here? And all of y'all who are part of blended families understand this because when you're in a blended family, when you have a mixture of different families coming together because maybe of divorce or whatever reason, then there are usually some challenges in the midst of a blended family. So this would have been a very crucial conversation that should have taken place between Abraham and Sarah. But the scripture says that Abraham Abram believed, I'm not Abram agree with her proposal so the stakes are high opinions vary widely and deeply uh when when you have uh, a crucial conversation the third thing is emotions run strong and deep now i would say that when you're in a situation like this emotions will be running strong and deep because it was considered to be uh somewhat a, a mark or a curse whenever a woman was not able to have a son particularly or children altogether, but particularly when I not able to have a son. If a father was not able to produce a son to carry on his name, that was considered to be somewhat a, a black mark in, in the culture of this day. Research over a 25-year period has shown that crucial conversations actually transform people and relationships. Crucial conversations, can I put it in Doll Adams' Stern? It's those talks that many of us are reluctant to have about stuff that's really important that could help and then our families be better, can help our work relationship be better, can help our nation be better. I, again, during this period of time that we're living in right now, there, there are some crucial conversations being had. And I thank God just for this past Thursday, we'll be coming out uh, with some some uh, some, some crucial conversations that I'm having with some of my white brethren as it relates to the sin of racism and the church. And so we're going to be rolling those out in the month of July, and some good crucial conversations that have to be had if we're going to defeat, amen, this very negative and dividing sin of racism that's causing the church to not be the church. I'm not talking about the world. I gotta deal with the church. Because if the church doesn't get it right, guess what? The world won't get it right. So we've having those conversations had a blessed time and I'm looking forward to sharing those with you. But those are crucial conversations and most people don't do it very well. Even in your family, there's some stuff that you know right now you need to be talking about, but you're afraid to talk about it. You're afraid of the consequences. And so we don't tend to do these very well. So research, again, over 25 years, period has shown that crucial transform uh people and relationships. Despite the importance of these crucial conversations, we often back away from them because we fear we'll make matters worse. Or we've become masters at avoiding tough conversations. How do we typically handle a crucial conversation? When we, when we face crucial conversations, we can do one or three things. We can avoid them like most people do. I want to, by show of hand, how many of y'all are in relationship, whether it's a family, co-worker, church member, a uh, 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 person you go to school with? Uh, how many of y'all can think of something that you really want to say to somebody, but you have been hesitant about saying it? Can I see your hands? I, 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 I need y'all to be honest. How many of y'all know that there's some, some conversations that you need to have, but maybe you have, because of your not necessarily equipped yourself and prepared yourself to do it, you haven't had those conversations with family members? I see the hands. We're co-workers. How about that? coworkers? Co-workers. Uh, how about with church members, fellow church members, because maybe you've gotten a little sideways because of some issue, but you, you say, I'll just keep it to myself. I, I'll just pray. I'm, i ain't going to, I ain't going to cause no trouble, but you're causing trouble because you are not settled in that thing. And it's causing you not to be the person that God wants you to be. So we can avoid them. We can, uh, face them and handle them poorly, or we can face them and handle them well. And one of the ways that we face them and handle them well is learning how to do it, get into our word and begin to understand how that happens. So, there, there, so, Pastor, you, you, you keep talking about crucial conversations. What, give me some examples of some of those. Well, if you're going to end a relationship, that's a crucial conversation, right? Emotions run deep. The stakes are high. And, 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 and opinions vary widely. How many of ever heard somebody tell you, it's not you, it's me? Huh? That famous, baby, it's not you, it's just me. I just, you know, you, you, you're great. It, it's no, they're not, they're not really telling you what the real deal is. They don't want the relationship anymore. So they'll put it on themselves to make themselves feel better. But really, when you end a relationship, that's a crucial conversation. Can I get a witness? How about if you got to talk to a co worker who behaves offensively or makes suggested comments? Anybody work with somebody who, who behaves uh, in an offensive way? <laughs> Having that conversation. How about how about this? When you loan the friend some money, and they, won't, they hadn't paid you back when they said that they were going to pay you back, and they won't say anything about the fact that they didn't pay you two months ago when they, when they were supposed to pay you. they just keep on like nothing had happened. You got to have that crucial conversation, right? Because you don't want to bring it up. You, you think that they, surely they know that they owe me, right? And they know they owe you. But sometimes we're afraid or not afraid, but we just reluctant to bring it up because we think it's going to cause our friendship to, to exist, to, to cease to exist. i tell you what, one of the things that I've said before, be very careful when you loan somebody money. There that time when you do that. But if it's going to break the friendship, I'll say, listen, I, I know your pattern, so I, I want you to remain friends. I don't want you to come around me, feel like you can't come around me because you owe me money that you know you owe me, and you went to Six Flags, you went to Las Vegas on my money and came back and testified how you had a great trip, but it cost me $2,000. I'm still thinking you owe me $1,000. Went to Vegas on my money. Hello? I know I'm right about it. Some of y'all got some family members who owe you right now. And y'all can't talk about it, right? How about critiquing a colleague's work? When somebody has, you have to evaluate them. Huh? When you have a, a performance evaluation, can you be honest with people? One of the things I tell you we're doing it here as a ministry, we, 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 we do look back meetings to evaluate the effectiveness of what we're doing. And sometimes, to be honest, I can tell when we're having those, those Zoom calls that some people get their feelings hurt a little bit. Because sometimes we take stuff personally when all we're doing is evaluating the effectiveness of what we've done. And how can we be how can we get better? How can we be how can we be more effective in doing the work of ministry? And so we have to learn how to do that and have these crucial conversations because they are they are they are tantamount into helping us as a people of God and as individuals and as a church family to get better at what we do. Can I get away? So those those are some, some examples of crucial conversations. How about how about uh if you're divorced and you're having issues over custody of the children and visitation and those rights, those can be some crucial conversations, right? Talking to a team mem- member who isn't keeping up his commitments. Someone who's not showing up doing their part. you got to go and talk to them. Sometimes we have trouble doing that. How about confronting a loved one because of a substance abuse problem that they're It? Then How about, if you're married, discussing issues of sexual intimacy? Oh, that gets to be real tough, doesn't it? Can I get a married couple? in the, Don't even raise your hand. I don't, want, I don't want you to be caught on camera. But, just, but, but I know I know I'm right about it. Because you married for any prolonged period of time, you go through these ebb and flows. And then being able to talk about sexual intimacy in a marriage is something that a lot of couples don't do very well, huh? A lot of couples don't do very. Let me say it again. A lot of a lot of couples will argue about it, and somebody will go sleep in another room. But it's actually talking about it, actually praying through it, and saying, I know this is a part of God's desire and design for our marriage, and it's not where it needs to be. So how do we get to the place where we have a satisfied sexual life as a married couple? Most couples don't do that very well. Can I get two people to say amen? I feel like I feel like somebody online just stand up stand up, and slap your hood and say, I know we need to talk about it. Come on. We don't do those things very well. Here's another one. Asking in-laws to quit interfering in your marriage. Oh, my Jesus. Huh? That's a tough conversation, isn't it? Because you know, on Father's Day, you're going to go over to to, to Paw and Mama's house. But you've had this crucial conversation three weeks earlier, and it didn't go so well. Huh? Asking in laws to quit interfering in your marriage. That's a crucial conversation, right? How about this talking to a, a co worker or a church member about personal hygiene problems? Hello? Is that a tough conversation? Stakes are high, opinions wide, vary widely, and emotions run strong and deep. So you, you, I don't want to hurt their feelings, I don't want to lose the friendship, so I'm not going to say anything. But again, if you don't say anything, uh, you know, if if they're musty, y'all know what musty is, that's an old term. Maybe they need to change, somebody said they stink, you mean to change their deodorant. Hello? But nobody will tell them and everybody talks about them. You're in the locker room, come on, I play football for you. You're in the locker room and nobody will tell the guy that there's a problem there. Of course, you talk about it behind their back. I tell you before, one thing I learned in life, if somebody comes and ask me, you want some gum? I take it. Because I don't know if my You want a mint? No, no, I don't want it. Take it, please. No, 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 I don't want Nothing you need to take it. We don't we are not very good at having those conversations. So here we see Sarah and Abraham at a pivotal point and trying to believe God and and they don't have this crucial conversation. Somebody fell down on the job and saying, this is not the way we need to do it in that 16th chapter. Let's the law of crucial conversation, and I'm going to move on here. At the heart of almost all chronic problems in our organizations, in our teams, and in our churches, and in our relationships, lies crucial conversations, ones that we're either not holding or we're not holding them very well. We're not talking about it, or when we do talk about it, it blows up. And because it blows up, and because you get out of your faith walking, because you become indignant and crazy-looking and crazy-sounding. Come on now, we all are in relationship with people who who get crazy sometimes, right? How many of y'all know somebody who blows up? And it's difficult to talk to them. And so, as a result, we don't hold those conversations very well. 20 years of research involving more than 100,000 people revealed that the key skill of effective leaders, teammates, parents, church members, and loved ones is the capacity to skillfully address emotionally and political risky issues. What's one of the first things people tell you when you go to work? Don't talk about religion and politics. Is that what they say? do they tell you that? Don't talk about religion and politics because if you do, it's going to blow up. And in this hyper sensitive, hyper political world that we live in now, it's like us versus them. And that's never the way democracy was designed to operate. We as a church, we as born again believers have to lead the charge in helping the world see how people can get along, but we gotta first of all get along in the church. So I said the sin of racism will never be it will never be eradicated because it's sin. And as long as man is in the world, you're going to have sin. People have been committing adultery for the last since man's been here. Right? Sin is in the world, but what the church can do is 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 when we deal with whatever issue that needs to be dealt with publicly, strongly, without fear or trepidation, then we set the example for the world. Because only Jesus Christ can change a man's heart. A law can never change a man's heart, but Christ can. Can I get a witness? Christ can, tra- Christ can change the way you look at life. And so that's why the church has to take the lead, not the world. You can march all you want to, but marching ain't going to change a man's heart. And I'm not knocking it, but it ain't going to change somebody's heart. You can put a law in the book, but that law can't change your heart. But I know somebody who can. The God that I serve, the Jesus, amen, who's died on Calvary, was b- buried and resurrected the third day of the morning. He has the authority and the power to change your heart. So he's the answer. Can I get five amens out there in the house? Glory to God. So, 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 if you're gonna, if you're gonna, uh, if you think about improving your relationship. Uh, consider the impact crucial conversation can have on your relationship. Could could failed crucial conversation lead to failed relationship? Absolutely. As it turns out, when you ask the average person what causes what co- when you ask the average person, come on, listen to Kevin. When you ask the average person what causes couples to break up, that usually suggest that it's due to differences of opinion. Okay? You know, people have different theories about how to manage the finances, about how to spice up their love life, how to rid the children. Uh, in truth, everyone argues about important issues, but not everyone splits up. It's how you argue that matters. It's how you have these discussions that matter. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said something that that every bad speech. He said, He says, Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. I got to repeat that again. He says, Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. When you sit back and you see injustice, when you sit back and you see a a fellow Christian head into the ditch, but you were silent because it ain't none of my business. I, I, I knew I saw it coming five years ago, but I didn't I, I didn't want to say anything. Because I didn't, it was, you are your brother's keeper. And when you're part of the family of faith, when you're part of the EBC family, when you see another brother or sister heading for destruction, it is our responsibility to say something. I like what Brother Tim Ross preached a message last Sunday. says, when I see something, I say something. When you see sin, when you see injustice, when you see a fellow believer going in the wrong direction, you have a responsibility to say something. Now, you can't determine whether they're going to listen or not. That ain't your job. Our job is what? To plant the seed of the Word of God in their lives. Can they get a witness? So so, so, so Abraham and Sarah failed to have a crucial conversation, and so it led to some stuff that, that, that actually caused them some heartache and pain. But again, they're the family that God chose to birth the Savior into the earth realm. So we've got to learn how to do crucial conversation better. And we'll, we'll talk some more about that as we go along here. But but let's look at Abraham and Sarah. If you will, go back to Genesis 12, chapter because this lack of crucial conversation didn't just start here in chapter number 16. Go to Genesis 12, and we're going to look at verse number 10. See, weak faith Leads to dysfunction in your life as a believer. Weak faith, everybody say, weak faith will lead to dysfunctionality in my life. Say, weak faith can cause me to be messed up, maladjusted, confused, out of the will of God, and etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Say, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Okay, I'm just messing with you. Now, watch, watch this. Again, it just. This this lack of crucial conversation didn't just start here in the 16th chapter. Look what he said. At the time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt, where he lived as a foreigner. Now, now, but back up, back up to the first verse of this 12th chapter. Watch this now, because I want to try to get this in. And so, say, 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 pray for the pastor that he can get it all in today. <laughs> Watch what the text says. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. Look at verse 2. Watch this. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you, you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. That's what God is telling Abraham. Abram, as his name is right now. Next verse says what? Verse 3. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All. The families on earth will be blessed through you. Next verse, let's read. So, what? So, Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Verse 5 He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household in Haran, and he headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, verse 6 says, What? Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the oak of At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Now here he is; he's, he's on his way. He's he's in the place where God had told him previously that I'm going to I want you to leave your family and go to the place that i prepared for you. Everybody track with me, right there. So I'm talking about weak faith leads to dysfunction. So they're in the land where God is sending them to, but when they get to the place where God sends them to. That's where we pick back up in verse number 10. Let's go back right quick. How many of y'all know that sometimes when you're in the place that God told you to go to, there can be some disruption and some discomfort in the place that God told you to go? Here he is going to the place where God told him to go. And the text said at that time a severe famine struck the land of Canaan where he was. God told him to go, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt where he lived as a foreigner. Now, I'm, I'm going to make some points here as we talk about weak faith leads to dysfunction, okay? Number, point number one is a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. I say a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. I need you to say it out loud and on purpose. A faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. Listen to what the scripture teaches us in 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 first peter one six and seven. Go there right quick. First Peter chapter one verses six through seven. Let's look at that real quick. The text says this so, so be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead even though you must endure many trials for a little while. The apostle Peter is writing this letter to the saints he says there's a wonderful joy ahead even though you must endure many trials For a little while. Next verse, let's read it. It says what? These trials, listen to this. These trials will show that your faith is what? Genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world, to the whole world. He says this, these trials will show, these trials will show what? Come on, read. these trials will show what? These trials will show what? That your faith is what? You don't really know that your faith is genuine until you have to go through a trial. All of us will sit back and proclaim that I got faith in God, I believe God, until the trial comes, until the test hits. How many of y'all in school thought you knew the material until the test hit? Can I get five people who, who didn't do as well on the test as they thought they were going to do? Because you thought you knew it until the test came. See, we think we are trusting God. We're believing God. But our faith, whether or not it's genuine or not, is going to be revealed through times of testing. God's purpose, listen to me carefully. Second thing I want you to. Make a point of God's purpose in allowing trials is not is not only to verify, come on, our faith, but also to purify it and remove the junk out of our life. i got to say it again. God's purpose in allowing trials is not only to verify our faith. Because, come on, how many times have you talked to church members and they said, Oh, I believe God i got faith. Well, do you tithe and of give off? Well, no. Well, if God says, in his word, bring ye all the tithes into, into the storehouse and prove me now here which the Lord of hosts, if I will not pour you out a witness of heaven blessed that you won't have room enough to receive. If if God gives us that promise that he'll rebuke the devourer for our sake, and we bring the tithe into the storehouse, well, then why do we not tithe? Because if God says he's gonna bless me and he's gonna keep Satan at bay, if I truly believe that Then I find myself giving as the Lord has told. And tithe was before the law, during the law, and after the law. Tithe is just the minimum of our giving. That's just one one example where people will say they trust God. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, run over with men giving your bosom. But with the same measures you made out, it will be measured back unto you again. So if I believe that, that when I sow, God's going to take care of me, then I would not be hesitant in my sowing. I'm not saying you won't be challenged. Because there's some times when challenges will come and the enemy will try to make you think you can't trust God. But one thing that Doyle Adams and Mareri Adams have done from the time that we began to walk in faith as a married couple is we've given tithes and offerings to our God. And sometimes, yes, it was tight. Sometimes we didn't know where the money was coming from. But bless God Almighty, every time my God showed up and made a way. (laughs) See, you, you would have had to get to me before God showed his faithfulness to me. Now that I know that he's faithful, now that I know that he will do exactly what he said he'll do, now that I know that he is the great I am, he's the one who provides all of my needs. You can't stop me. you should have got to him before God showed himself faithful. Because I believe in a faithful God. Glory to God. Now watch, watch. So, so, so see, God, God knows what kind of faith we have, but we don't know. <laughs> we think we do. And the only way, to advance in the school of faith is to take some tests. The only way to advance in the school of faith is we got to take some tests. So so, so, just like Abraham, as we progress in the school of faith, we will face three special tests. I want you to put these down. I'll just make a memo. They're on the, they're on the app. You can go to uh, they're on the, the notes on the app. Go through and, and look them up. First thing is circumstances. Special tests, circumstances. Everybody say circumstances. Abraham, guys, took a great step of faith by leaving his family and traveling to an unknown land. And after he arrived, he saw God a second time and heard his word of promise. Abraham and Sarah probably expected to settle down and enjoy their new home, but God wouldn't let them. Instead, guys, he permitted a famine to come to the land that he told them to go to, Faith. He permitted a family, a famine, Stacy, in the very place where he instructed them to go to. Now, I'm, when I look at that front, I'm like, God, why you, why you do, why you, do the man, why you do my man Abraham like that? You told him to go there, and then now everything dries up. But God is trying to grow him. He's trying to grow him because we're going to see some things that even though God chose him, Abraham wasn't quite where he needed to be to become the father of many nations he permitted a famine to come to the land. There's no record that Abraham ever faced a famine in Ur or Haran, but now he was in God's land. He had to find food for a big group of people, plus flocks of, and herds of animals. Go back to Genesis 14, I'm, I'm, in verse number 14, I want to show you uh, what the Bible says. Here, because sometimes we think of Abraham's family, we think, well, he's him, and maybe the servant, and maybe five, six, well, maybe 10 people, watch what the text says. When Abraham heard, that his nephew Lot had been captured. Watch what it says. He mobilized the 318 trained men who had been what? Born in his household. Now, all of his servants were having children. All these folks, Abraham is responsible for feeding them. He mobilized the 318 trained men who had been born into his household. Then he pursued... Kodolim's army until he caught up with them in Dan. He, he defeated that army. That's when, after after this victory that God gave him, Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek for honoring God for giving him the victory. But I, but listen, this is 318 trained men. This ain't talking about their wives or their children that were a part of his household. Now, here you are in the place, uh, uh, Sherry, where God told you to go, and you got all these folks looking at you, like, what are we going to eat? How many mamas have came home and you said, look, mama, I'm hungry. What are we going to eat? You're responsible for feeding them. So here Abraham is, here Abraham is in the land that God told him to go to, and now there's famine in the land. Everybody say it's just a test. Say it's just a test. Why did God allow the famine? I believe he allowed the famine to teach Abraham and Sarah a basic lesson in the school of faith, a lesson that we all must learn Number one is tests often follow triumphs. Tests often follow triumphs. In other words, they had defeated the enemy. I told you in the 14th chapter we saw that. But tests often follow triumphs. One of the enemies of of the life of faith is pride, guys. Y'all with me? When you experience a victory or accomplish a great task, you start to tell yourself you can defeat any enemy at any time. I said you, right? Everybody said he said you. You start depending on your past experiences and your growing knowledge of the Word instead of depending totally on the Lord. Let me give y'all an illustration. That's why it's so uh, you, that's why it's so difficult for Super Bowl champs to repeat the same feat the next year. It, it, it's rare when you see that, particularly in these latter years. Uh, uh, from the from the, when the Cowboys last did it in the 90s, I guess. They were the last team that had those multiple Super Bowls or had back-to-back Super Bowls. I believe they did. Y'all correct me if I'm wrong. But, but it's difficult to do that because pride steps in. All the parades, come on. All the articles being written, all the interviews. Now you get to go to uh, the Tonight Show and Jimmy Kimmel Live. Everybody wants to talk to you. Everybody's telling you how good you are. You're getting all these endorsements and these commercials. And, and and, and you start to feel yourself. How many of y'all remember the 1985 Chicago Bears? The 1985 Chicago Bears were one of the most dominant defensive teams that ever played the game. As a matter of fact, in Super Bowl, in, 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 after, Super Bowl after, the, after the 1985 season, they played the New England Patriots, who were considered to be a Cinderella team back then. They played the New England Patriots and beat them 46-10, to 10, and it, wasn't, it really wasn't that close. 46 to 10, they had a smothering defense, the forty-six defense that Buddy Ryan put into place, and they just killed people. I don't mean literally killed, but I mean just, you couldn't run on them, you couldn't throw on them. But guess what happened? They won one Super Bowl. Because how many of y'all remember they started getting the endorsements? How many of y'all remember the, the video of the Super Bowl shuffle? They had a video of the Super Bowl shuffle, and everybody was, everybody was basking in the glow of the World champion Chicago Bears hadn't got back there since. Since eighty five. How many years that? That's what? Long time. <laughs> Long time. <laughs> I believe mean, thirty-five years ago. Haven't been back since. Because what happens is guys, if we're not careful careful, after we experience victory, we get a little prideful. After your ministry grows from twenty couples in a home to over five thousand in a in a megachurch. If you're not careful, you'll start getting prideful and thinking, this happened because I'm leading this church. Are y'all with me today? So, so, so again, watch this, watch this. Again, we got to re- realize that pride comes, that's why it's so difficult. So expect this, guys. Tests often follow triumphs. Tests often follow victory. God did not want Abraham to become proud and self-confident, so he put him and his faith into the furnace of testing. And guys, after a great victory, the second thing I want you to remember is this. Expect the enemy to attack you or the Lord to test you or both. After a great victory, expect the enemy to attack you or the Lord to test you or both of them may be happening. This is the only way you can grow in your faith. See, God uses the tough circumstances in, of life to build the muscles of your faith and to keep you from trusting something other than his word. God wants all of us. To lean and depend on his word. The old folks used to sing a song, I learned how to lean and depend on Jesus. He's my friend. He's my guide. I learned how to lean and depend on Jesus. I found out if I trust him, he will provide. That was a song that they sung. And so God is trying to get us to lean and depend on him and his word. Listen to it carefully. The next thing I want you to make note of as you look at um, uh, this this test of circumstances is uh, don't try to run away from the problem. It won't work. Hello, don't try to run away from the problem. It won't work. Instead of remaining in the land and trusting the Lord to help him, Abraham went down into Egypt. Ever say Down. He went down into Egypt. In the Bible, Egypt is a symbol of the world system and its bondage, while the land of Israel is a picture of the inheritance of blessing that God has for you. When people went to Jerusalem, they went up, but when they went to Egypt, they went down. How many of y'all been going down lately? See, I always use this term, and, 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 and you can use it too, and I don't have a patent on it, but when you're talking to somebody who's moving away from God and going their own way, Said, don't go back to Egypt. Say, don't go down to Egypt. See, some of y'all know God delivered you from Egypt, right? How many of y'all have some Egypt-like situation you've been in? Don't go back to Egypt. Amen. If God has delivered you, don't go back. There's bondage in Egypt. Are y'all with me today? So Egypt is a symbol of the world system and it's bondage. While the land of Israel is a picture of the inheritance and the blessing that God has. When people went to Jerusalem, they went up. But when they went to Egypt, they went down. Next point I want to make. When circumstances become difficult and you are in the furnace of testing, remain where God has put you until he tells you to move. Watch this now. When circumstances become difficult and you are in the furnace of testing, stay right where you are until God tells you to move. Some of y'all are in too big of a hurry to, to get out of the fire. And God said, I need to keep you there for a little while because you're kind of hard at it. I got to keep you there for a little while because you, you you don't believe fat, meat, greasy. Anybody know what that means? Come on, come on, Jacqueline. I know you You heard Ofo say, you don't believe fat, meat, greasy, do you? I had a football coach, Luther and he just tells us all the time we're out there playing. You don't believe fat, meat, greasy. I didn't know what the heck he was talking about when he said, you don't believe fat, meat, greasy. Can you remember that? Uh, but what they're saying is, is you don't really believe what I'm telling you. So, so. So remain where God has put you until he tells you to move. So the first test that we often encounter is circumstances. The next one is people. Oh, here we go. People. Everybody say people. Now watch watch this. Genesis 12, look at verse number 11. Let's read that right quick. People. People. People can be something else. Say it with me. Say people can be. Something else. Say it it like you're from the country. Something else. Say, I, if I'm not prayed up, if I'm not in my word, I can be something else. And I can ask the folks who are in relationship with you, they can tell me you can be something else. Text says, as he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife, Sarah, look, you are a very beautiful woman. Watch this. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Let's kill him. Then we can have her. Next verse. So please tell them you're my sister. Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. Look at Abraham. And sure enough, everybody said, sure enough. It might be Miss Hattie, uh, Gloria and Marie. She, she said, sure enough. I remember that. Sure enough, when Abram arrived in Egypt. Look at this. They ain't looking at him. What are they doing, Ken? They checking Sarah out. Everyone noticed Sarah's beauty. Look at the next verse. Watch this. Uh when the palace officials saw her, they sang her praises to Pharaoh. They said, Pharaoh, you, you gotta you gotta see this chick here. Pharaoh, this she's 36, 24, 36, got long hair. She's just a brick house. Pharaoh, she's she's finer than any of the other ladies in your harem. Pharaoh Pharaoh, you got to have this one. Watch what it says. When the pastor saw her, they sang a praise to Pharaoh, their king, and Sarah was taken into his palace. Now watch what the text says. Then Pharaoh gave Abram many gifts because of her. Sheep, goats, cattle. Now remember all these folk you got to feed. Come on. Sheep, goats, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. Watch what the text says. But the Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his household because of Sarah, Abram's wife. The text says this. So so Pharaoh summoned Abram and accused himself, man, what, what you done done? He man, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Now, check this out. I got to back up here because that had to be a crucial conversation had between Sarah and Abraham when he decided they decided to tell this lie. They got together and told this lie. Now, it, technically, it wasn't a lie all the way because she was his half-sister. Technically, but she was also his wife. Now, Abram does like a lot of people do. He says something that really wasn't true. He said, "Well, you know, uh, you know, they, if, if they, if they, um, for your sake, let's do this." But it wasn't for his wife's sake; it was for his sake. Guys, there need to be a conversation and hand here because you got to trust your God. Think of what happened here. He allowed his wife. To be taken into the king's harem. you don't know what harem is, right? A group of ladies who lay around all day looking pretty. And if the king wants to be with him, he comes and gives. him. He, he allowed his wife to go be in, in the king's harem to save his skin. Because he knew if he told them that he that they were husband and wife, they would kill him and just take her. But if they thought that they were brothers and sisters, they would just they would take her and give. And, and, you know how, you know how people do. Come on. When they want when that when that guy want to get next to you, he he he, he want to he he he'll talk to your brother, won't it. How do y'all got into the brother first, being friend with the brother? Watch this, guys. Here, Abraham allows his wife to go be in the king's harem to save his own skin. See, God had to build His faith. This weak faith leads to dysfunctionality. No man worth his salt is going to allow his wife to go first and take the bullet. If you're a real man, you're going to die first. I'm talking about real men. I ain't talking about baby daddies. See, baby daddies—they're they going to do. It. Real men will starve before they let their wife starve. Come on. How many of y'all have had? You know, you. you How many of y'all, we're real men, this this, this, this ain't the same level, but real men, when they ask their wife, do you want anything, she says, "Uh uh-uh, I don't want nothing, baby. Then you go buy something, and then now she wants to eat what you just bought. Can I get three witnesses who ain't scared? And then now, real men go on and give her some of those fries anyhow, even though he had asked her five times, baby, you sure you don't want nothing? Baby, you, I know mine does it all the time. Baby, you sure you don't want anything? If I'm lying, I'm dying. So so real men will sacrifice for their wives. But here, Abel has to be built up in faith to understand what a real man is. So so he, he leaves the circumstance of the famine, and now he has to deal with the test of the circumstance, and now he's dealing with the test of people. Now, guys, listen, listen to me again. Once you enroll enrolled in the school of faith, you are not allowed to drop out because one failure, because of just one failure. God has purposes to fill in you and through you, and he will do whatever is necessary to make you succeed. Go to Philippians 1, 3 through 6 with me right quick. Come on, I got to go. Philippians 1, 3 through 6. Are y'all still tracking with me? Me and my dysfunctional family. This is the height of dysfunctionality. Here this man is allowing his wife to go into the king's harem to protect himself. Ain't that a blip? Philippians 1. Every time Paul says this, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Look at what he says here. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. Next verse says, for you have been my partner since spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. Watch what he says here. And I am certain. Everybody say certain. I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ is returned. Now, you may have messed up royally. You may have got out of your mind and did some crazy stuff. But I'm here to tell you today, if you are truly born again, I am convinced that God wants to complete the work in you. Don't let the enemy tell you that you're no good. Don't let the enemy tell you that you, you're no longer usable by God. God can still use you when you repent and turn back to him. And that's what he does with Abraham, guys. Are y'all with me? Abraham soon discovered that he had been he he'd been better off dealing with the circumstances in Canaan than with the people in Egypt. Because people can be what? Something else. I noticed the change that took place in Abraham's life because he went down to Egypt. Abraham moved from trusting to scheming. Move from trust. When you start going down, you'll start lying. You'll start cheating. <laughs> the old folks says if you lie, you'll steal. If you steal, you'll kill. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Abraham moved from trusting to scheming, now trying to save his own skin. When you stop trusting God's word, you start leaning on man's wisdom, and it leads to trouble. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll do what? He'll direct your path. Abraham and Sarah uh, brought this half-true with them. It, 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 what, they had ta- they, this isn't the, the last time they tell his lie. They brought this truth with them from Ur, and they used it in Egypt and Gerard. And, and not only that, their son, Isaac, used the same lie with his wife because he was pretty tough. His wife, Rebecca, he told a lie and said, tell him you're my son. So, so family lies can permeate through generations. And that's why it's important for you, if you're going to move forward, you've got to look back and see where you came from, not let that, not, not let it hold you back like a ball and chain, but understand your family heritage and your family origin. So that you can deal with the the, the 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 things that have been running your family for years, generations that have not been addressed, maybe you're the one to have the crucial conversation to start victory to happen in your family's life. Maybe God called you here to learn this stuff so you can start having crucial conversations with your family. Amen? So, so, so when you find yourself scheming in order to escape problems with people, hear me carefully, when you find yourself scheming in order to escape problems with people, watch out, more trouble is coming your way. He also moved from confidence to fear, guys. He moved from confidence to fear. When you're in the place of God's choosing, you don't ever need to be afraid, for faith and fear cannot dwell in the same heart. He moved from confidence to fear, and he moved from others to self. He lied so that it might be well with himself, but he, he was. But he was. He, he, he told a lot that he was trying to do it for Sarah's sake. Ain't that a blip? How are you gonna let your wife go in and be in this harem and, and 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 possibly be chosen by the the king for that night to come have sex with? That's that 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 ain't right. So God had to build this man, but He's gonna use this man. And his family, Herod, is to bless the whole world. He moved from others to self. And lastly, he moved from bringing blessing to bringing judgment. Because what, guess what happens? When you look at the rest of that chapter, the, kid, the Pharaoh called and said, man, what you done? Y'all saw it? You told me it's your sister, is your wife, and now this judgment is coming on me because I've taken your wife. And he said, get, get, get out of here. Take this stuff and leave. Get out of my country. So they left Egypt and they went back the land of Canaan. God called Abraham to be a blessing to the nation, but because of Abraham's disobedience, judgment fell on Pharaoh, and judgment fell on his household. If you want to be a blessing to others, then stay in the will of God. Everybody say, stay in the will of God. Well, Abraham learned this. See, some 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 of y'all are in relation with him who, who, who are back in Egypt. We got to come up out of Egypt. Don't go back to Egypt. Come on, Come on up. Let's get up out of there. So look at Genesis 13 chapter, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase this because y'all know the story of Abraham and his nephew Lot. So Abraham learned a lesson on this faith journey. He was weak in faith and caused him to make this decision, and he lied again about the scenario. Uh, and again, but again, we go to that 16th chapter, we see it still got some growth to do because God has said, I'm going to bless you to be the father of many nations, but he and his wife got together and cooked up a scheme. To replace, uh, to they got tired of waiting on God, and see when you get tired of waiting on God, you start doing stuff that's outside the will of God. Amen. So, so third thing that that are are tested with not only we tested with circumstances, with two tests as it relates to circumstances and people, but but he passed this third test. Abraham lived for others and not for self, because again, the you know they, they were Abraham was very rich, y'all. He had his nephew Lot there with him. And so the the cattle and, and, and the sheep and all the animals they had there was, you know, it was a this was an agrarian economy. And so in order to be able to feed all of them, the, the land was not big enough for them. Or so they had to divide the land. And Abraham gave his nephew Lot the best part. So that so that so that all of the, the, the animals and stuff they had would be able to be fed and they could they could they could live uh uh in God choose with him, and Abraham gave God gave thanks to God. At thirteenth chapter, I'm not I don't have time to go into all of it but y'all story of Abraham and Lot, his nephew. So he he split it up and gave Lot the best. That means that there was some growth that had taken place in this man who who earlier had given his wife to a king to save his own skin. And now he's given the best part of the land to his nephew, Lot. So, guys, that was dysfunction in this family. And we're going to keep looking at this family on next week. Because my, my goal is to get all of us in here to start looking at ourselves and looking at our families and, and being honest about where we are. Because too many times in the church, we fail to deal honestly and openly with with things that we need to talk about because we don't know how to have the crucial conversations. And as a result, we don't get the freedom that we need to be able to walk with the Lord the way he wants us to walk. Are y'all with me today? Me and my dysfunctional family. Some of y'all right now are thinking about a level of dysfunctionality that you got to deal with in your family. And sometimes it ain't, the, it ain't all the time the other person. Sometimes it's us who are off kilter. Abraham couldn't blame anybody else. It was him. God had given him a promise. God says, I'm going to bless you. So how are you going to bless you if you let you starve to death? No, God was not going to let him starve. But that was a test. And obviously, his his faith needed to be shifted because he did that dastardly thing. Jesus Christ gave his life for us, guys, so that you and I could be in a position where God can use us. So understand this. After great victory comes the test. It's circumstance, people, and things. So are you willing to pass those tests? Jesus gave his life out on carriage so that you and I could be in a position where we could have a relationship with the, with the triune God who created the heavens and the earth. God desires to have relationship with us. He doesn't just want religion, he wants relationship. Jesus gave his life on Calvary, crucified, buried, resurrected the third day morning with all power in heaven and earth in his hand. And if you receive him in your heart today, you can walk in faith and you can experience victory in this life. Every head bowed in right close. Father, we thank you and praise you for this divine opportunity. Lord, thank you for your word.